Hello and welcome to another episode of Behavior Babble with Barb Avila and Pam Smith. Today we're talking about self-reg, how to help your child and you break the stress cycle and successfully engage with life by Dr. Stuart Schenker with Teresa Barker. I wanted to just give a shout out to his website as well. It's self-reg.ca and he has a center in um, Canada, the Merit Center, M-E-H-R-I-T Center. But the brilliance of his book, um, I think, is, is um, I, I hope we touch on and we just absolutely love this book and love it for our families. So we hope you enjoy. I have pages and pages and pages of notes. I know, me too. Okay, so we read... <laughs> I just got your text. <laughs> That's cute. Um, so we read Self-Reg, How to Help Your Child and You Break the Stress Cycle and Successfully Engage with Life by Dr. Stuart Schenker with Teresa Barker. And you were just saying how glad we are that, or glad you are that we read it. And I'm so excited to talk about it because I think it's fantastic. I think it. It is. It works on so many levels for our families. It works on so many levels for myself. Yeah. And all interactions with human beings, frankly. Well, <laughs> you know what I was struck by with that is that so many people are talking about the importance of self-reg. So many people are talking about the importance of being regulated yourself as a parent to be able to support your children, having children have integrated brains to be able to learn best, etc. But we're not there yet in our behavior management. Right. In classrooms, in our, you know, I look at FBA or functional behavior assessments and behavior plans, you know, again and again and again that talk about where they're only surface. They're not talking about this stuff. Yeah. And I think it's, it, 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 what I love about the way he wrote it is that he, he makes it so much more manageable. It makes it, he, he really breaks down what is happening Mm-hmm. And through this lens of regulation, which is what is rare, I find, you know, when it comes to the behavior plan, it comes, people know that sort of mm-hmm. intellectually, but they're still sort of going to the end of the behavior. Like I got to manage that thing, that action that just happened. As so, opposed to- <clears throat> like he talked about self-control, mm-hmm. like just thinking kids just have to have self-control and that self-regulation. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and I just appreciate his constant message, and we have talked about this time and time again, his constant message about co-regulation ne- uh-huh. being needed before before self-regulation can happen, and, yeah. and the interbrain, and the yeah. um, interplay with parents. I do, I want to, I feel like a bit of caution to be able to say to a family who has a person with autism in the mix, mm-hmm. that can be... Overwhelming. Well, overwhelming, and it's it's significantly more challenging to co-regulate with yeah. a person who has autism, and that's fair to say yeah. it's going to be a longer road, it's going to be harder, it's going to... You know that as a parent who has a person with autism in your life, but, but I will say that um, I appreciated the, the reminder to go back to this as the foundation. I think I, even in my practice, have gone far afield and gotten distracted by whatever shiny new thing that happens it's over so there. It's so easy to do. <laughs> yeah. When, and what I really appreciated too is 
I remember when we were talking about One Two Three Magic, Doctor Phelan's mm-hmm. book, a few a few months ago. You know, your main concern was exactly this: was exactly that the child is sort of pushed away and um, there's not a chance to co-regulate, right. right? To support that regula- re-regulation. And you know, I talked about how well with, I with with the consequence of time out, for example. Correct. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I took away from that was more the, I wanted the, the parent to have a tool to stop the hamster wheel of not being regulated, of, of mm. like themselves. Yeah. And so that's what, but I feel like this is a perfect dovetail. The two of them together work huh. really nicely where mm-hmm. if you could, if, if you can just have a, a, a simple tool to get yourself out of that mix and then get yourself into the mindset of self-regulate, of, of self-reg, uh-huh. through co-regulation with your child and then back out um, to self-reg, I feel, self-reg the book, sorry. So from f- taking the concepts of one, two, three magic to stop yourself in that moment. Well, it's an emergency strategy almost. Right. Where the self-reg is really a holistic. What I love the most, I think, and kind of circling back to the concern about people, parents with kids with autism reading this book, is I was afraid that people... Parents of kids with autism might say, oh, my kid has autism, it's different. Because what Stuart Schenker really clearly says is that once you help a child regulate, that then they can basically blossom more on their own. And that those areas, they can learn on their own, they can learn. And I'm afraid that people who have autism in their lives might say, oh, but that's different for autism, where we... The two of us have seen very clearly that that's not true. We mm-hmm. do see that kids with autism, once the stressors are reduced, can blossom beautifully and all of a sudden become much better learners. Mm-hmm. And it just it just really valued, I thought, our program that we've created through the school systems and things like that. It was just really exciting that we just we try and surround a person with autism who's just overwhelmed and not able to be in different environments with people who have a calm demeanor, who can use their interbrain to connect and use co-regulation to be able to bring their whole systems back to a calm state, which is what he talks about in the book. Um, and so they can feel it. So then they're available to then connect with other people mm-hmm. and with learning. It's just, yeah. Right. And I, I think that, um, but I do, but, but I think that there's, it's fair to say, um, that pro- there's the possibility, the, the, the autism complicates things. Well, it makes it more intense. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. And I do think that there can be, you know, there might, there's, you know, he, he has those visuals in the book about the overlapping circles. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, the, the overlapping circles, um, it, it's almost like, I think at different points and with different stressors, they'll sort of shrink and grow. Just for a second? Sure. So those are the five uh, domains that he talks about. Um, so they're biological, emotional, cognitive, social, and pro-social that you're all looking at how they link together. Okay. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And so, but what I was thinking is that um, you might re- be able to reduce the stress in one or mm-hmm. two but they'll still remain big. So, so biological, perhaps, for a, a person with autism, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just so aware of how diet and um, 
you know, sort of sleep, pro- sleep and processing <laughs> of food. Yeah. Um, yeah. And processing our food are so big. So you might be able to chip away at that a little bit, but then, you know, the autism makes it so the person only eats, you know, foods shaped like triangles or whatever it is. And then, you know, and I know that they could still learn, but it's like, there's like sometimes when it comes to this, the reality is, um, those circles might stay really big for some kids for some amount of time. But it, I, I appreciated um, the consistent message is, to, is it doesn't matter what domain you're in. It doesn't matter what the presentation is. Are you going back to helping reduce the stressors? Are you going back to helping the child recognize what stresses them and how to resolve yeah. that? Are you going back? Like, right, that, that, that simple framework of how to manage anything that sort of blips for lack of a better way of saying yeah. it right is the same no matter what and so yeah. all your what I appreciated about it is even if you have a diagnosis and you have a bunch of stuff going on and you have adolescence mm. and, um all of that the the approach becomes clearer back to you yeah know, not the emergency strategy but a simple strategy a yeah. simple strategy of what you're going to always do is go back to reducing stressors how can yeah. I get them and sometimes you're just not going to be able to. Well, but along those lines, though, what I really liked is that multiplier effect where he talks about how, I mean, you just kind of talked about it a little bit, but where you might have stressors in a lot of different areas are going to make some areas seem even bigger. So if you have a child who is especially sensitive to, um, is a horrible sleeper, for example, and you've got this biological domain that is just out of whack, right? you can reduce the stressors in the other areas, even though they may not be the primary stressor, just by reducing those, you make that child more available to be able to be resilient or learn in that one area that is the biggest. Right. That's a that's a brilliant point. Yes. So I love to talk to teachers about that, for example, too, of even though you might not be able to stop the stressor of whatever you think it is, you can reduce the lighting. You can reduce how much you're talking. You can reduce. There's so many other things that just are just general potential stressors that can make everybody feel more calm, mm-hmm. even if you don't know what it is yet. Right. Mm-hmm. So even if you haven't figured it out, there are things that you can reduce. Yeah. I just love the way he starts the book, too, talking about the little, um, there's a there's a kindergartner who's quote-unquote bad, mm-hmm. and he walked oh, in, right. and he the kid's crawling out of his skin, and he just, I mean, page two, he really paints a picture of what it feels mm-hmm. like to take action to shift this for another person. Yeah. And I'm sure that we, that every single parent that we've ever worked with has had those moments where they they can draw a direct line my kid's feeling x i do y my kid is better at z right they they know they've had that experience with their child it's categorizing it it's Mm -hmm. systematizing it it's hanging on to it through the tough times when maybe x y and z aren't as clear you know it's all of those kinds of things that i feel like get so hard Mm -hmm. um but but and much like the rest of the parenting books that we've been reading, I, I appreciate that he sort of he forgives you for he's like you're not going to be perfect at it, yeah. you know, which is which is fine. Oh, I mean, he himself t- re- relates stories of the things that he did with his child that were dysregulating. I actually <laughs> love that that it was almost him 
reflective on his own parenting saying, yeah, this is where I realize now that I kind of screwed up, (laughs) you know, yeah, or I got mad and my wife had to step in and, you know, tell me that I think you need a break. And yeah, I thought that was really powerful for him to admit that and to talk through that for sure. And not, and not claim to be, um, I'm not claimed to be perfect from his high horse or anything like that. I don't think yeah, that was exactly. the case at all. Um, One of the other pieces, kind of along those same lines that you were talking about before, the examples that he gave, but was how he doesn't just... Um, he talks a lot about the child and <clears throat> throughout the book, and then at the end he does bring in the adolescent and the teen, which I thought was so crucial for him to make sure to give specific attention to teenagers. I think there's so much more that happens that, and then the, yeah, there's so much more about that, especially because I have a teenager, so I was especially interested in that. But the other thing is that back to people, parents who are reading it potentially and have adult children with autism, Mm. where developmentally they may be more in that teen realm where a lot of that shutdown is happening where um, he talked about, how did he say, uh, low energy, high tension. Yeah. Um, I thought that was so interesting to think about these kids or these young adults or adults with autism who are shut down in their rooms. I see them regularly, right? Or I see their parents come in panicked. Where we think of them as being under-motivated. We think about them being... Like, you know, all we need to do is just tell them to kind of buck up and let's do it. Where if we looked at it as them being overstressed, especially in the social department, which we all know, um, it doesn't exactly give us a roadmap as to exactly what to do, which, of course, I wanted from him. But it does give us that basic, Mm -hmm. like, always come back to Mm -hmm. how does, I mean, these guys probably don't have a clue of what it feels like to be calm. They think that pushing a button and pl- to play a game, you know, or turn on their computer is feeling calm when it's not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, well, okay, so I want to I wanna peel away at the, the, there wasn't a roadmap. Because I was thinking the same thing, and I was uh-huh. sort of reading the book and thinking, where's the roadmap, or where's the roadmap, and, <laughs> and I'm going to recommend this to a family, and where, where's, they're going to want yeah. a roadmap. yeah. But what I took from the teen, from both the pro-social and the teen chapters, yeah. was that we don't have, like, once the stressors are pulled away, mm-hmm. the person innately, and we've, yeah. we've believed this since our time in RDI, and since yeah. we've known, you know, like, we had the words around it, we believed it always, but we, yeah. we had our, we, we had the words to, to say it's not about teaching a specific skill. Yes, it's about providing an experience and yeah. having that person create. And, and that's what we did with Engage. It's not about me telling you how to interact with this person. It's about me providing you a safe place yeah. where you can feel like you can create your own solution to that problem or your own strategy around this. And then guess what? You're going to use it because it worked for you. Yeah. Back to simple behavior. And so I... I was I felt like I was able to pull that out of the um, chapter, and I I just felt very um, encouraged that someone was saying that. Oh, sorry. Maggie is very self regulated right now. 
Whenever Pam gets excited about something, she comes over. That's our dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's giving her two cents. She is. Um, anyway, I, I am excited about that process. That that layer that he gave a lot of voice to of um, th- that there's... I, I, what I was really hearing is don't try and teach them something specific. That's not... Yeah. Po- give give yeah. them an experience well, in a manageable way. Well, except I'm going to challenge you a little bit on that because I do feel like he really flipped this, the script or whatever to say we need to be teaching the teen how to recognize it for themselves. Yes, yes, recognizing... And children, but... Yeah. Yes, recognizing the regulation piece. I'm yeah. talking about this, the, the skill of then interacting. Oh. Uh-huh. I'm talking about the back and forth, the pro-social piece, yeah. or the I'm going to take action out in the world. Yes. If, if, and we've experienced this time and time again, when they, the person, and I don't think it matters whether they have autism or not, unless they have a co-occurring speech a challenge issue or like a motor planning issue or something like that. Um, when you provide them with a genuine experience, they can problem solve for themselves if they're in a calm, regulated state. And I'm going to, you said a word earlier that I just want to highlight that he says in the book also, when somebody feels safe. And I think that, um, he used an example in that, that even just are saying, hi, how are you? Um, to another person is like a little check-in. Like, are we safe here? Are we, this is like social routine can be safe. Oh, yeah. And then that becomes the basis. And if somebody feels that, then they can be, have all of this other just, you know, social engagement happen. But without that kind of base of safety, Mm -hmm. that it's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. Well, and what we see so often with our our kids on spectrum or youth or whomever is that in those social circumstances, it comes out as, well, he doesn't know Mm -hmm. how to have an A-B conversation. He's just controlling the the conversation with his topic. Well, then he must not feel safe. Yeah, exactly. He must not feel safe to stop and that he he's going to know what to do or that he trusts that this is a place where he can be vulnerable and just sit and listen. Or he might even not know that experience of feeling calm in a co-regulated state, which then brings us back to the importance of, you know, a parent or a caregiver of having that safe uh I'm going to use co-regulate again, but what I mean is having a somebody in their lives who can be calm and regulated to support that back and forth as being the base so that then when they get older, they can then recognize that social pattern and feel comfortable and safe mm-hmm. and calm. Mm-hmm. One thing, <clears throat> I'm wondering what you think about kids who kind of turn this on their head a little bit in the sense that they um, they might sort of fake it with other people. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're one of the spaces that's get, causing them stress is that they're trying so hard in a pro-social mm. way. And then the rest of it sort of falls apart because they've tried so hard. And, and it's kind of working. Is it the energy drain, you mean, that you're right. talking about? So maybe it's energy drain or it's maybe it's that, it's that, right, so it would be the energy drain. So it would be, um, I'm thinking of a particular person who 
can do all of the back and forth of social interaction, but I, th I think that probably drains them significantly, and then they can go to other safe places and just be a horrible human being <laughs> to another person mm -hmm. um, because they sort of don't have the bandwidth anymore to maintain it. So it's, it's like mm -hmm. an, a, an unbalance, and we hear that sometimes with kids where certain behaviors will only come, you know, other diagnoses besides autism, this is pretty regular where, like, hold it together all day at school, yeah. nobody has a, any situation, right. and home is a complete mess yeah. of I'm going to yell at you every time I turn around because um, I used it. I used up all my tokens, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, I almost wonder, too, because I just had a, a family experience that recently where their child with autism is was doing really well in school, but um, the primary caregiver... Um, wasn't there um, because she had to go on a trip for something. And so other people... And so when he would come home, he would completely lose it. And it's almost like... Where I know that's an extreme, but it's almost like I'm, I want my predictable calm, but it's not there. Mm. Or I want my predictable calm and... Um, yeah, I don't know. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that... Then if the parent is stressed or tense, right, right. So it's kind of a similar scenario mm -hmm. that he talks about in the book of if a child comes in with anger, when they're seeking their calm potentially, right. And we come at them, we match with, that and match that. It makes it worse. Where then you know this is a whole other topic we should dive into. Is he talks about. Um, which is so hard for parents, including myself, when a child or anybody else is coming at you with anger to come to them with soothing. Mm -hmm. It seems so counterintuitive. And it seems wrong as a parent because you feel like, oh, well, they shouldn't be behaving this way. But at the same time, that child who's held it together all day at school and is coming and needing their calm, that's the, exactly what they need is that soothing to the, with the inner brain to then bring them down. Mm -hmm. <sighs> well, it's so funny because, um, I mean, uh, I have a family member who um, I, I, was, I was with everybody this weekend and not, um, and from a, from a different room, I heard this whole thing play out and I just threw the, I, was, I think I might have even been reading the book. <laughs> in the other room and I'm just listening to this whole thing play out and I could I knew from you know the cheap seats that um that the kid was stressed about something else uh -huh. and that the thing that the fight was actually about that just got bigger and bigger and bigger over the course of 10 mm -hmm. minutes had nothing to do with the the thing in the room mm -hmm. which was I think getting shoes on to get out the door right and the other part so two parents trying to get one kid out the door on time is such a recipe for disaster, oh gosh, right? Yes. Especially if you have a if you if you have at all a kind of family of origin timeliness stuff in, <laughs> going on for you, you got to really yeah. be like, oh, okay, how do I deal with you know get to some places early, <laughs> folks? I mean, I don't know what it is. Um, start the, start the process a half hour earlier. Anyway, I mean, it was the perfect storm, and and because I was reading the book. I just reversed all the way back to he's about to go do a solo. Yep. He is stressed and worried about that. Yeah. And has no no language around any of that. 
and is probably feeling like he's going to screw it up mm-hmm. and be embarrassed. And so he was a horrible human being. In front of his peers. In front of his so peers. brings up that social piece, Completely. Too. Yep. So anyway, it was just really fascinating that, you know, it, it might be an interesting, um, if at all possible, you know, not with your own children, but to if a parent reads this and is at all able to sort of step back and analyze a different situation uh-huh. and think about it and not, not with their own selves and not with their own child, but just but to go through the process. Somebody else. Yeah. Well, that's what I think he helps with. Though. Yeah. He does a lot of nice examples. Um, I have to say that yesterday I had a situation with my own son that I thought it would share because it, it is, um, um, interesting that, uh, I've, I haven't, so I read Self-Reg many, many years ago, so I don't know when it came out. It came out in 2016, and I, that's when we read it too. Okay, we we read it right away then, I think, so that was, I think, yeah, years ago. The first day that it came out. So, my own son has struggled with regulation issues for one reason or another, won't go into, but... So all his life I've struggled with this, I'll be honest, of coming at him with anger, I've tried everything and then realize that doesn't work. And then, you know, it's also frustrating as a parent when you're like, okay, I'm going to be calm, I'm going to soothe you. And then they fight you mm-hmm. and you're like, but I'm, but I'm here, you need me. <laughs> and they still fight you. But um, I did learn a long time ago to come to him with, <laughs> and my dog, no, <laughs> with, um, trying super hard to come with that calm because I did learn just with his own regulation that meeting him with anger never worked. I mean, it just always made it worse. And so the interesting thing was that yesterday he comes in um, my office here and he um, is super, super stressed. He's about to graduate from high school. He's um, cramming because he, you know, didn't plan ahead necessarily. And so my own tension and stress is high, right? And he's coming in going, ah, I haven't, didn't bring his, he forgot to bring lunch today. He wants me to buy him lunch. I didn't want to buy him lunch um, because that then reinforces him like, you know, not preparing ahead and blah, blah, all this is going, and I'm at work, so I'm thinking stressed, blah, blah, blah. And he says to me, he's laying down on my couch and he's like, I'm just hungry. All I need is a hug, mom. And then I think, and to eat, and then I think I'll be okay. I was like, and this is after he's like assaulted me with all this other verbiage. And I was like, finished reading self-reg last night and I was like oh my god I need to totally tell him how awesome that was that he recognized it for himself that he was hungry tired stressed (laughs) and that all he needed was some soothing yeah and I was like oh okay that's awesome so I did I came over I gave him a hug and it and um he definitely turned it around yeah but um well and then the other skill is that he was able to he recognized all of that and then took action. Like, he asked for it, too. Oh, I know. Which is a totally. whole separate issue of, like, how many adults do we know that know they need something and then yeah. can't seek help I'm still to learning get there. that. Absolutely. <laughs> it's yeah. hard. It's it is really, really hard. hard. Yeah. To, 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 yeah. So, which is the other thing that I re- appreciate about the this book, and, and especially, too, because I read it back in 2016 as well, but sort of life experience, three years on, 
different lenses, different things, you know, happening. Um, it, you know, it's a, it's a nice onion to keep peeling. I could foresee w wanting to revisit this one again in three years. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Absolutely. Well, the cool thing though, is I think that he definitely has made an impact on the, well, at least on, in our worlds. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, a lot of the same themes are in the yes brain, for example, mm -hmm. um, where, you know, they even talk about how empathy and pro-social behavior can't happen unless you have the regulation and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I'm hoping that a lot of the themes are, you know, in infiltrating. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, just coming with a... Oh, you know, the main thing that we haven't brought up is that he talks about reframing misbehavior as stress behavior. Which is so fantastic. It yeah. just, yeah. I, um... And I think that we all can relate to that and that we forget that just look inward and go, yeah, whenever I'm misbehaving, it's usually because I'm stressed. Mm -hmm. Why are our kids any different? Absolutely. Um, I'm just kind of looking over some notes and to that end, um, what's interesting, I love when he was, in terms of reframing, he talked about freeze, the freeze response uh -huh. to stress as being misconstrued as compliance. Oh yeah. So if we think about so many of our kids are overly compliant or yep. waiting around to be prompt dependent, wait, yeah. waiting around for prompts. I just wonder if they're just frozen and they like... If cue dependency is actually fear behavior. <gasps> oh my goodness. Oh, that just blew my mind. I wonder. They don't have a sense of... Or, or be, it, maybe it started. The original... Well, that's the hard part is like what habits have been developed because they started in that fear response. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not a kid. So, so as soon as... But so... If you're looking at a lot of freeze behavior, or a lot of compliance, excuse me, and, and someone just, yes. Passivity. Yes, yes. Passivity, exactly. Yeah. Thinking about once they do, once you, we're reasonably sure they're feeling safe, is there a way to push that and not accept passivity? Um, but if they continue to be passive, are they just giving up because they can't, they're stressed, I don't know. It's well, it's interesting because if somebody is passive and compliant, you may not think to reduce stressors. Right. Because they're doing, quote unquote, what you want. Right. So you might not think to reduce the lights in the room or the extra sounds or talk less or um, even making sure they have a well-balanced diet. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, and this the whole concept of we always are thinking about down-regulating kids with autism. Yeah. But just the whole, like, reframing those overly compliant, overly passive kids as needing some upregulation. Well, upregulation in some areas, but, do, but if they're hyper-aroused and shutting down out of freeze, right? Right, I suppose. So it's actually that we you wouldn't think to downregulate somebody who's already like low low right but that okay might right. be because they might be high tension low energy that we were talking about with teens right like the one example of the golf girl who changed her name at the mm, end mm -hmm. that one yeah yeah um, 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it. I, I love the big picture messages that he comes up with. But I also think there's just little nuggets of um, really specific things, too, that come into play. I wrote so many notes. So many notes. <laughs> I know. I did, too, all over the place. Um, Maybe we should highlight the fact that um, even though there... So I was always looking for, like, the roadmap, the prescription, whatever. He does have the reduce, recognize, restore. The three yeah. R's that mm-hmm. he you know, brings forward, which I think are really crucial to um, reducing the stressors. Even if you don't know what they are, you can reduce some. Right. Like, if you just think of those five domains and think about how can I reduce stressors? Can I make sure that they, they get more sleep or more opportunity to sleep? Can I make sure they have, an, you know, can I, I, was it in this book? I'm reading too many books at once. Where he talks about even making, yes, the your home feel womb-like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, if your child is seemingly not a sleeper, that make sure that you have scenarios in your, um, in your home that feel quiet and relaxed and things like that. Your child actually may be a sleeper, but be having trouble sleeping because they're overstimulated. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. But um, you can reduce, and then um, the recognize... Of not only you recognizing, but helping your child recognize what calm feels like in their body. So I liked also that he talked about not just emotionally, like don't talk about feelings all the time, especially with adults with autism. You start talking feelings and emotions and they often shut down because it's not in their vocabulary. But you start talking about what does your body feel like, like sit down and what your body feels like. And, um, and then the last part is restoring. So then learning how to, which I'm still grappling with a little bit, like how do you help somebody restore? And he talks about activities to help them feel that way, make sure those are in their repertoire and their daily, etc. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you were pointing at me like you had some. Oh no, I was going to piggyback off of two things. Yeah. One would be, I mean, I think what, what I really heard was in terms of restore, that it's going to be totally different for each kid so really thinking about helping them so it it does go back to the feeling like their body feelings not emotion feelings but Uh their body senses yeah um and two things that I thought of from that one I I liked how he just differentiated between calm and quiet a person could be quiet but they might still not it might be a freeze right they may be fearful right when they're quiet yeah but it also reminds me of the work that you were doing a few years ago with with um, lots of different people where you were taking a, a different sense each time and really yep. looking at it 360 degrees, really having the person. And, I, and I, I do wonder, just from a purely, the, the arc of many of our clients mm-hmm. where, um, and we don't know them necessarily as infants or, or toddlers right. most of the time, but the amount of time they potentially were spending when they were infants and and toddlers and very young children just trying to get through the day in terms of their sensory systems, in terms of trying Mm -hmm. to navigate it all, it's very likely they didn't do some of the foundational work of integrating their sensory systems to be able to do those feelings. So your work in, in focusing on that at no matter what age they were, I think is really... Yeah, really, really brought me to think, oh, I should bring that back again. (laughs) (laughs) 
Definitely. No judgment. <laughs> well, that was interesting because he said one of our instinctual um, ways of gaining safety is social engagement. Mm-hmm. But that we can't get to that level if we're in fight or flight. Yeah. And so if a child, from a sensory perspective, early in development, or at any point really, is in fight or flight, they don't get the social engagement practice that they need of the interbrain, the co-regulation, all of that, to then be able to have that foundation for later social engagement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... And he says, in the book, he says, it's never too early, it's never too late. Right. I loved Anybody can learn or be supported to kind of look, um, gain that self-awareness of regulation. Mm-hmm. I think it's harder when you have autism involved, and especially nonverbal. Mm-hmm. That's a, you know area that we haven't talked about. If you have somebody who's nonverbal, how do you help them recognize for themselves mm-hmm. when a calm state? Right. And it, you have to be really engaged with that person. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, you were going to say something. Oh, no, I w- but to that end, I w- what I, so one of my notes was, you know, reason, a.k.a. talking, like talking through something, isn't necessarily right. about the feeling, right? right. So, so it actually dovetails with what you were just about to say. So what, what I'm wondering about when it comes to a person who's nonverbal is it goes back to help them experience calm. So when we meet, you know, really recognizing the signs of that calm versus quiet and recognizing that's what the, this, this person who might be nonverbal, but is on the same page as you Mm -hmm. in terms of feeling, they're going to seek that out. Mm -hmm. They're going to be, you know, when you invite it, they're going to want to come to it. They're going to, so those are going to be your clues. Those are going to, and then you can start to label it or give it a picture or whatever and, and build that recognition. I, I, I don't think this is an easy piece, but, um, but Tina Bryson, the, um, one of the co-writers with Dan Siegel on the Yes Brain talks about, um, I don't think she mentions it in the Yes Brain, but when she's done some presentations, she talks about putting your hand on your chest and helping your child put their hand on their chest when they're feeling calm, like when they're falling asleep, so that, and labeling it calm, um, or I'm not sure that's what she says, but this is after reading this book, I'm like, oh, we should label that calm, Mm -hmm. and um, that's, I have a nonverbal client that I've been doing that with, that when I can tell that he's feeling relaxed and he's calm in his body, because he can, he does kind of these yoga poses when he's feeling really stressed, or when he's, um, yeah, when there's something unexpected and he starts to feel that way. So I can tell the difference in his body language when he's feeling relaxed, I hope. Mm-hmm. And that I put his hand under mine on his chest and say calm. And um, I think that might be one way that we can help them recognize when they're feeling calm. So that then later, if they're needing to feel calm in a scenario, they can put their hand on their chest. And then there's their sign for <clears throat> relaxing their body. He also talks about in the book about breathing and (laughs) how um, I just thought that was fascinating because he also brings in Stephen Porges' work with um, polyvagal theory, which you know I love, um, and the vagus nerve and how breathing activates, and actually the exhale, activates the vagus nerve to actually calm us quickly, Mm -hmm. I thought was awesome. Well, and I like the way he put it, where it, it, um, when you... When you take a deep breath, deep breath, 
wait, it's just, did I do that right? I said, I wrote the note, the deep breathing shifts brain from internal to external awareness. Would that make sense? Did I do that right? Um, or well, is it maybe. external to internal awareness? Anyway, I'm confused now. Uh, <laughs> My note. <laughs> but well, I, I think it takes it from being cognitive to physical. Oh, okay. So I'm not sure how that in, is internal and external, yeah. but... I think it takes it from a cognitive experience that you try and reason through and get yourself more anxious into a body awareness. Oh, maybe that's what he meant, is like internal brain. Yeah, okay. Maybe, yeah. maybe internal to the external. You're just living in the moment. Back to, I mean, I'm a, I'm a person who does yoga, and they're mm-hmm. always saying, just come back to the breath, come back to the breath, yep. come back to the breath. And I don't always do that well, but... <laughs> <laughs> But I forgive myself for having my mind wander, but... You know, that brings up another point, and we should probably wrap up pretty soon. Sure. But that brings up another point that um, I liked in the book, is that all of us, and you actually brought it up a second ago of when we were talking about restore, how it's different for every person. So I think we make that mistake as parents, like, yoga works for me, so I'm going to do yoga with my kid. And it actually might be the opposite of what they need. Mm-hmm. Where um, trying to really get into what your child needs might be different. And looking at those different domains and doing that assessment of mm-hmm. what is restoring and calming to this child. I, that might be different than what's restoring and for me. Absolutely. Um, that said, I also think it's a good place to start. If it works yeah. for you. <laughs> or it works for someone in your family. Um, you don't have to, and you're, and you're doing some experimentation anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, because that goes back to, if you, if, if you are in a regulated state yeah. and that activity brings you regulation and brings you joy is something you want to share. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I, I want parents to, they're like, I don't know what to do with them. I'm like, well, what do you like to do? <laughs> yeah. You know, what, what things do you, and they can't sometimes think of it because they're sort of down the rabbit hole of whatever, Pokemon or something that some, you know right. some child has you know the, a, a diff, another child or they they want to have one child of theirs be like a sibling um but then I just think well why don't you start with the low-hanging fruit of whatever it is that's regulating to you and then at least one of you is regulated <laughs> yeah <laughs> you absolutely. can and you can experiment you can start with that experiment well, and I think that let's finish on the experiment piece because I think it is, you know, he finishes with a scenario where a child finds singing as something that is really regulating for them where it even surprised me in reading the book. I'm like, what? Singing in a choir? Like, this is a, was that the girl? Yeah, or, yeah. that was the teen, so, yeah. Yeah, so um, they must have had to experiment with a few different things to figure out what is it that brings that calm state. And it may take a while. I think you said this earlier that it's, it's not a short process. It is a long process, but keep coming back to what restores that calm, what restores that calm because the rest will happen more naturally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So experiment, 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 Mm -hmm. reduce the stress, Mm -hmm. recognize Recognize the stressors, reduce them. Yep. And then experiment with restoring. Yeah, and I think with our kids with autism, it's it's a that back to the circles for a second. It, you know, there's there's the circles intersecting, but then I also I have an image in my mind of 
just child development happening in sort of a spirally kind of way where you sort of loop back around to some of the same things that you Mm -hmm. might, your child is bigger, your child has different Mm -hmm. skills, your child has different experiences, but you're actually kind of talking about a really similar thing when they're two, when they're four, when they're... Absolutely. 10 when they're 12, right? When we are 50. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Indeed. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Well, I, um, I thoroughly enjoyed reading this book. I highly recommend it. Me too. To families, anybody, anybody. And I can't, I, as I was reading it, I thought I recommended this to everybody a year ago or two, three years ago. Yeah. I'm going to re-recommend it. I know, I have People in my family. Oh, yeah, me too. (laughs) I have that. I have um, folks lined up waiting for this recording, too. Yeah, me too, me too. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you you for another great podcast. Yes. And uh, we'll see you next time. Absolutely.